Okay. Okay, folks. We're trying to get the service started. Um, when you came to church today, what was the sign that you saw on the door? This. Well, true, that was one, but that's been up there. This was a new sign that said Pastor Appreciation Sunday, okay? And um, Ephesians 4.11, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. Okay, as we all know, Pastor James is a bivocational pastor, I think he's worked for the city of Willard approximately 20 years. That's correct. And at the current time, he is the city manager. Um, Have you ever thought of being a city manager of about 6,500 people? That's a lot of people to manage. (laughs) Uh, They have different personalities, different ideas, different in a lot of ways. Um, then he spends 10 to 20 hours a week preparing a sermon to bring us. So that brings us up to about 60 hours, right? And he wants to help us in every way possible. But he also has a family, and he needs to be loving, fair, and helpful to his family. That is some of the reasons We are honoring Pastor James and his lovely wife today. And not only today, but we need to pray for him and his family every day. And be helpful whenever we can. And be supportive in every way so as to make his load a little lighter. Okay, Pastor James, apostle you are. A man who teaches the word of God, the word of truth that gives people power, the power of love, the love of God, touches the heart of his flock. A man whose smile actually means, I love you. A man whose eyes say, I'm praying for you. A man whose lessons from the pulpit make you jump up and say, I can take on the world, bring it on. A man we appreciate and love, and who are proud to call our own. Thank you. So, um, to me, a pastor's wife is just as important as a pastor. Um, for everything out of you that you do around here with the praise team and um, helping James and, and everything, just we just want you to know that we appreciate it. We love you, and I have a poem here too. I wrote this myself. No, I didn't really. Um, it says the wife, the wife of a pastor is no ordinary role. It's not for the jealous or timid soul. So I take this moment, without further ado, to say, co-pastor, we celebrate you. Uh, Though demands are never-ending and recognitions are few, 
Your smiles are ever-present, never stale, each one new. You're an example to the sister and encourage to the brother while obeying Christ's command that we serve one another. You're gloriously appreciated. You're not just a queen. You're a pastor's wife. So to both of you, um, as a member of the board and representative of the church, we just want to say we love you. We appreciate you, everything that you do for us. And a little something from the church board. Thank you. I think uh, I speak for Adavi, and we, we truly appreciate every person that's in here. Um, and we're just, we're just blessed to be on this journey with you. And we're looking forward to what God is going to do with this body, right? This church that's devoted to him. You know, I hope that this is a season where you're, you're not only praying for the church, but you're also asking God, what are you calling me to do? What do you, you know, what do you have in store for me? Um, I think that's something that we're looking, looking forward to figuring that out as we, as we kind of build back everything. We know some people are being called to preach. Some people are called to teach. Some people are called to, to serve. And we're excited for this season. And we're praying for you that God just reveals that. But, but seek that out, right? Seek out the gifts of the Holy Spirit and, and find, out, find out your place, right? And join us. But thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. All right, a couple quick announcements. Shoe boxes. We are starting to do our shoe boxes. They're out there on the right-hand side. As you exit, you can grab one of these. There's some that are not put together. You just fold them up, or if you need somebody to fold them up, just let us know. There's also a pamphlet on how to pack a shoe box. Remember, this program is not just about giving a gift to a child, right? If that was it, you know, there's more to Christmas. There's more to this season. This is about getting a gift to a child and then starting that child in a discipleship ministry. Um, Samaritan's Purse does that. They, they do an intensive discipleship ministry, and they teach them about the Word of God and, and also um, show them how to have a relationship with God that they can in turn teach to other people. And that's where it's at, right? That's what's important. So I would encourage everybody to take a box or two boxes and fill it up. Like I said, use the pamphlet if you're not familiar with the program and bring it back to the church. There's a donation amount that you can include for shipping. If you can't afford that, we'll pay for that as a church, and then we'll ship them all out. But I just want everybody that can to be a, a part of this. So make sure you really pray about that. All right, serious note. Uh, I got a text this morning from um, Sheila, who let me know that Angie Vesterman is in uh, the hospital and is not expected to make it. So um, we're going to 
when we pray, we're going to obviously lift her up and her family. You know, this is somebody that I haven't seen in a while, but we want to we want to pray for them. I'm not even exactly sure what the reason is for this, but you know, she's a young person, so we want to we want to lift her up. Uh, so be praying for that, and and also too, election is coming up, right? We're going to be. We're going to be praying for that together as a church, and we've talked about this. We want, to be, we want to fast together as well. So I want to give you a resource. I was going to print something out, but it's pretty long. Uh, Campus Crusade for Christ, cru.org, has an awesome fasting guide that you can go to and, and fill out and everything like that. We'll send it out in an email so that you have access to it. Uh, my mom actually gave me another another paper with some awesome information about fasting as well. She sent it to me in the mail, and then, like, I got it Sunday, and, or it came in the mail, but I went to the mailbox Sunday, got it, and it was that same day that we talked about fasting. So we know, we know God is at work, right? And God is lining everything up. But we want to pray. We want to fast about this upcoming election and be deliberate about that and ask for God's will to be done in this. So uh, I want you to pray about that. Between now and the election, whether you fast a day, three days, the whole entire time until that happens, whatever you would do, talk to God and see what kind of direction he leads you in. In, in that guide, on, there's a, a starter guide on fasting. There's how to fast. There's different types of fast. There are what to do if you fail your fast. There are, there are questions and answers for everything in there. So I think it's going to be a good resource. And if you have another resource for fasting, share it with me, and I'll share it with the church as well. But let's, let's join in on this, all right? All right, would you stand with me? I don't know about you, but I am ready to worship. I'm ready to, to completely focus in on the God of the universe, our God, right? And give him glory. This isn't about being entertained. This isn't about music choice or music selection. This is all about focusing in on him and giving him glory and blessing him. Right? Let's join in on that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. Thank you for the ability just to worship together. Lord, I pray that um, you would be guiding this church and this church board on the next steps. I pray that you would be speaking to the people in here and calling them to something. Maybe it's a ministry, a new ministry to start. Maybe it's an old ministry that they've been a part of and just a, a reconfirmation to that ministry. Whatever that is, Lord, I pray that you would just cause and help us to recognize that as a church. Help us not to overlook it. Help us not to look at somebody and say, well, I don't think that's right. I don't see how God would be calling you to that. Help us to be following you in your direction in on all of this. Lord, use us. Use us to, to be a church that reaches out, to be a church that disciples, to be a, a church that to stands for truth, Lord, but does it with a lot of grace. Father, we love you. Lord, we lift up Angie this morning. Father, would you just touch her? Lord, I can't imagine what it would be like to be a young person and to have the thought of losing their mom. Would you, would you be with their daughters and the whole entire family, Lord? We just ask you to touch her, though, in this situation. We give her to you. It's out of our control. There's nothing we can do, but we know it's not beyond you. Would you just move? Father, I pray for anybody else in here. Maybe struggling with something, maybe a physical situation, maybe a financial situation, a relationship. 
situation, whatever that is. Lord, I pray that we would be able to come to you and drop it off at your feet and ask you to just take it over and trust whatever comes through it, Lord, and praise you all the way. Father, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray, amen. I sing for all that you've done for me. 
belongs to you. With every fear I lay at your feet, I'll sing through the night. Oh God, the battle belongs to you. Oh God, the battle belongs to you.
Amen, amen. You may be seated. I didn't even see what was going on here. But I was so glad to see two people step up and pray for a brother. You know, that's what we need to do as a church. Every opportunity, there are no coincidences. Every opportunity, when you have an interaction with somebody, it is a chance to give the good news. Right? It is a chance to speak life into a dark place with somebody. Don't miss those. Don't sell yourself short. Allow God to use you. Don't be scared of it. We're all scared of it, right? When God says, hey, go talk to that person, yeah, it, it's always scary at first. Or go do this, or go step up, or go to the altar, or go whatever. It, yeah, it's terrifying sometimes, but do it. Follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, right? Mm. Amen. Thank you, praise team. All right, well, I'm excited to start a new sermon series. And um, last week, we started to unpack the Sermon on the Mount, and we learned that collectively we are called to be a city on a hill. We are called to be salt and light, called to be part of this upside-down kingdom that is totally different than this world. And that's what that sermon is about. Jesus teaches a new way to live. Today we're going to skip ahead a little bit. Uh, to our point where Jesus teaches us to pray. And I thought the one song was very interesting, Adivy. At, I never tell Adivy my sermon, and she never asks, and I never ask her what she's singing, or, or I, sometimes I ask her, but she won't tell me, usually. It's a secret. Um, but I was like, man, that just lines up, lines up so good. But we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. So if you turn there in your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. As I said a little bit earlier, with the election coming up, we're in a, a pivotal time. Right, I think we, we feel that, and it's important for us to be in prayer. Of course, it's always important for us to be in prayer. There is no time that it's not important to be in, in prayer. But sometimes when we're in these pivotal times, it seems even more important. A couple of weeks ago, we, we looked at the story of Esther, and she found herself, the, the Jewish nation found, the Jewish people found themselves in a pivotal time. And do you remember what they did? They turned to fasting. We know fasting accompanies prayer. And we saw how God took a hopeless situation, right? A situation where there was no hope, there was no going back, and somehow he delivered his people, right? I know that's what we want God to do to us individually, as a nation. We want him to, to save the world, and we want to be a part of that. So it is my hope that during this critical time that we can pray and turn to God. So would you stand with me in honor of God's word? Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. And I'm getting, I'm getting older because it's getting harder and harder to read my Bible. I'm going to need reading glasses pretty soon. I'm going to fight that till I cannot fight that. Yeah, I got it right now. I just got to be careful. I just got to have it the right distance apart. Wow. Man. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm good. I think I'm good for another, hopefully, a year. All right. Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 5. Let's, let's, let's stop and let's consider who's speaking here. Right? Jesus Christ, the God of the universe, is speaking to us. This is his living word. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. 
I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father. Who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Father, we just come before you. Would you speak to us through your words? Would they ring loud and clear in our hearts? Holy Spirit, would you come and soften our hearts and prepare us? Would you start to transform us and help us to look more like you? Would you help us to become a church of prayer? A church that puts their dependence on you in everything. Lord, you have right away the rest of this service. Lord, we just give you all praise and honor. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, at the start of this, before Jesus teaches us how to pray, he's going to teach us how not to pray. And this is kind of interesting because he's going to teach us how not to pray by using religious people as an example. All right, religious people as an example. You see, prayer is a rather universal concept in practice. It's, it's common. Many people besides Christians do it. Whenever they give a survey and they ask people if they pray, the majority, the far majority, pretty much everyone says that they pray. So Jesus is going to use this to teach us how not to pray. Beginning at verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites. The hypocrites Jesus is referring to is, are, are the Pharisees, the religious leaders of this time period. Of course, this would have shocked the people to hear this. Hey, do, we're not supposed to pray like the religious leaders. They thought they were supposed to pray like them, but Jesus says, no, don't be like them. Why? Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. To be seen by others. Another translation has to be seen by men. This, this translation comes from our idea of theater. It's about putting on a performance to an audience. All right? And even the word hypocrite at the start of that has to do with theater as well. A hypocrite is somebody who puts on a mask, gets up on stage, and pretends to be somebody that they're not. Jesus says, don't be like them. Because when they pray, it's like they're just reciting lines for show. Right? Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So, we're called to get alone, right? There's nothing wrong with corporate prayer when we pray together. But we're called to get alone with our Father. And my question is, 
to you, is this something that you do? Is this something that marks your life? Is this something that is a regular part of your life? Do you get alone with God and talk to Him as your Father? Jesus says that when you do this, your Father will see you and reward you. Jesus challenges us to talk to God, maybe in a way that many of us were not brought up to do, right? We may have been taught to talk to God by memorizing prayers. This is how you pray at dinner. This is the prayer you say at dinner. This is the prayer that you say at bedtime. I've noticed that our dinner prayer time is pretty ritualistic, right? Dear Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you for Adivy who made it. We pray that you'd bless her and bless this food to our body, right? And we're out at Wendy's. It's dear Lord, thank you for this food. Thank you for the Wendy's people who made this. We pray that you'd bless them, bless this food to our body. It becomes something that we really don't think about. We just recite the lines, and that's the danger. That's where the danger is. There's no thought behind it. We need to be careful. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. All right, so don't pray like the pagans. Today, when we think of pagans, we think of people that aren't religious, right? A pagan person in our day usually means somebody that's like a non-religious heathen type person. But Jesus isn't saying that because these, pe- these are people that pray. They pray a lot. Maybe they pray more than we do. Once again, he's using religious people as an example. He's showing us that the real difference that divides people is not the, the religious from the non-religious, but the religious from Christians. That's where the difference is. For many of the Jews, prayer had become this very ritualistic, very formal thing that they did. They had all these prayers that they recited. They had the Shema. They would say that 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. every day, no matter where they were. They had 18 other smaller prayers that they would repeat three times a day. They had a lot of prayers for different situations. Pastor Doc taught us they had a prayer for after they went to the bathroom. Right? Here's that prayer. I looked it up. (laughs) And I'm not making fun of the Jewish people, so don't take it this way. But blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who formed man with his wisdom and created him with many openings and many hollow spaces. It is obvious obvious and known before your seat of honor that even if one of them would be opened or if even one of them would be sealed, it would be impossible to survive and to stand before you even for one hour. Blessed are you, Adonai, who heals all flesh and acts wondrously. It's a good prayer, right? But if it's like the dinner prayer and something we just recite without giving it much thought, then what are we doing? That was one of their prayers. They had a prayer for when they entered the city. They had a prayer when they left the city. They had a prayer for when they got good news. You get the picture. It was largely about repetition and reciting things. And Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like that. Go in, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And he gives them an example of the Lord's Prayer here in a little bit. Ironically, in our day and age, the Lord's Prayer has become something that we just recite, right? We learned it when we were young, and we just recite it. I mean, is that how you do it? Whenever the Lord's Prayer just gets up, don't you just run through it? I've heard it at football games. I've heard it at 
at different situations, at, at uh, board meetings, at um, non-church board meetings even, and everything. It's just something that you recite without giving it a lot of thought. And that's where we need to be careful. Verse 8, Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. Now, some people will look at verses 7 and 8, and they will think that this is about uh, talking about whether or not you should ask God for things. They look at verse 8 and they say, Ah, your father knows what you need, so there's no need to, to pray and to ask for that. You don't need to pray. But if you keep on reading in the Lord's Prayer, one of the things is you ask for your daily bread, right? So you do ask them. So he's not telling us not to pray and ask God for things. So what is he talking about? Really, he's talking about there are two different ways to approach God. And he wants to contrast them. The pagans, the religious people, they think that they'll be able to approach God and be heard because of their many words. But he says, don't be like them. So if he's not talking, so if that's not the key, then what's the key? How do we approach God? Well, it comes in verse 9. He says, This then is how you should pray Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, it's important to understand that in this text, in fact, up until this point, Jesus has talked about God as a father, right? He's given us that. Um, Referring to God as a father was uncommon, but it was not unheard of. You can find examples of that in the Old Testament, references where God would be referred to as a father. Now, though, Jesus tells us to address God as our father, And that's different. That's never been done. There's no record of it, no history of it. One New Testament scholar scoured all the old Judaistic volumes, prayer volumes, and there are tons of those, and they could not find one example of anyone addressing God as Father in prayer. And yet Jesus says, pray to your Father. Abba, Father is the word that Jesus uses specifically. Now there's something supremely important because addressing God as Father indicates that there is an intimate relationship there. And an intimate relationship has to be the basis for which you approach God. Has to be the basis for your prayer. Don't miss this one point, okay? This has to be the basis that we go to God in prayer. This is, this is huge. All right. Huge to, unlock, huge to unlocking a desire to pray, right? How many of you find prayer boring? Man, I remember as a teenager, prayer was boring. I didn't want to do it. My mom made me do it. I didn't want to do it, though, right? Huge to unlocking the power of prayer. Why didn't I like to pray? Because God never answered my prayers. It didn't seem like it didn't, you know, there's nothing happening. Why should I pray then if I keep asking for the same things and nothing ever changes or nothing ever happens? It's huge, though, that we understand the basis for approaching God as the Father because that will change all of that. The basis tells us why we are heard. The pagans believe they are heard because of their many words. If you say it enough, it's like magic. It's magical. The hypocrites think it's based 
by the amount of prayers that you do and, and being worthy and good enough to be heard by God. But Jesus teaches us that it's simply because it's relational. He is our Father, and we are his children. So this is our approach to God. This is the reason that God listens to us, because we are his children. When you approach someone, you have a basis that you use to approach that person. All right? Um, That basis determines the level of exchange that can happen. Right? Let me give you an example. All right? If I approach a stranger on the street, I can ask that person for directions. That's just, I have the, I have the basis of common humanity to approach them with that. I mean, who hasn't been lost in some situation somewhere? And you know how you feel when you get lost. So if somebody approaches you and they're lost, it's just in your nature to kind of, out of human decency, respond to them and, and help them out, right? Now, here's the thing. With a stranger, you can't go much further beyond that. You don't have the basis to go beyond that. There is a slim window of what you can ask a stranger. I can't go up to a person and say, hey, can I have that coffee in your hand? Right? That wouldn't work. Hey, can I have your backpack? My, my backpack has a hole in it. Can I have your backpack? Can we switch that out? Or can I have your credit card? Right? Which is not going to happen. Why? Because you don't have the right basis to go and approach that person for that. That's going too far. Well, if you want to have a, a deeper interaction, if you want to have a deeper prayer life, you've got to understand that you can go to Father, go to your Father. You have to understand what that means, how deep that connection is. I mean, what can you go to your earthly Father for? Right? If you had a good one, you can go to them for anything. You can talk to them about anything. You know that they will make time for you. They know, you know how important you are to them. Right? A good earthly father. But how much more so a perfect heavenly father? That's the basis that we need to approach God. He gives us permission to go to the deepest basis possible. There is nothing deeper Right, that we can approach God on, to, on this level. And I, I think this is hard for us to grasp. You ever, have an, uh, uh, you ever meet your, uh, a high school teacher when you're an adult and, and out of school? Right? Uh, I have this one teacher that I'm on a board with, and um, she, she told me when I called her Mrs. Moore, she said, oh, no, call me Susie. Right? And I'm like, no, that... That just feels weird, right? We have this basis that, you know, that I'm so used to as a student and teacher, Mrs. Moore. You know, now you say you want me to call you Susie. Maybe Susan, maybe that would be okay, but it's just totally weird to call you to Susie. But that's what she said, and that's what she wanted. And what she's doing is she's giving me permission to change the relationship and go deeper, if I, if I truly take that on and am able to call her Susie, it changes how the level that we're at. Now we're on an equal level, right? Before she was above me and before I was down below. Now I can talk to her about different things that aren't school-related. I can probably talk to her about anything, really, or, or not anything, but there's a lot of things. And, and that's just how changing a name and how you refer to somebody affects just me in one small area. 
So immediately, can you imagine when the Jewish people were told, hey, address God as Father. And it would totally change everything in their view of him. I don't, like I said, I don't think we can grasp how huge this is. I don't think we can grasp how huge this permission is that Jesus gives. Think about how you know, it just changes how we can a- approach God. The name of God is so holy and sacred, right? Especially for the Jewish people. They didn't say it. They wouldn't write it. Heck, you couldn't even say it because of those four consonants, right? Yod, hey, va, hey. You couldn't even pronounce it. He was holy and unapproachable. Remember, if you got too near him, if you saw him, you'd be dead. And now Jesus is saying, hey, approach him as your father. Radical, radical change. You know, maybe some of our upbringing, maybe it's hard to think that we can have a relationship with a father as a child because our relationship with our father wasn't the greatest. But it's possible. And he's a perfect father. And it's something that we need to accept. So, right now, what is the basis for your prayer life? How are you approaching God? Is it as your father? Or is it something else? For a lot of us, we've developed this business approach. Or maybe it's like a boss and employee approach to God. In this, there are mutual contributions to each other, mutual benefits like with any good partnership. The parties are both going to be benefiting from it. Of course, if one end doesn't uphold their end, then that's when there's problems, right? How do you know if you have a business partner relationship with God instead of that family relationship? It really becomes clear when God does not answer your prayers, when God does not do what we think he should do, when God doesn't uphold his end of the partnership. We're like, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm coming to church, right? I, sometimes I even come to church twice a week when it was open. I'm giving, I'm praying, I'm serving. I'm doing all these things for you, and all I'm asking for is this one thing from you. Just this one thing but you won't do it. You won't come through. Man, that's the deal we had, God. Right? I do all this stuff, and you bless me with this relationship, you bless me with this money, or you bless me with whatever it is. Sometimes that's our relationship with God. We start to have these expectations of, of, of God that he is somehow obligated to us. Right? Obligated to do for us. Obligated to bless us. I mean, if you have a job and you work a couple weeks, you expect a paycheck, right? You expect a paycheck. And I think it's sometimes the same way. You do things for God, you expect a paycheck. But that's not right, right? That's a business relationship. And what happens when you don't get the paycheck? What happens when you don't get the thing? You're mad at God or you quit. So how do you know if you have a business partner relationship with God? Your prior life probably is very frustrating. Maybe you're mad at God because he's not answering your prayer, or maybe you quit. 
It's not coming through. Then you have the wrong basis for approaching him. It's not a business partnership. Like I said, if you do that, it's going to be frustrating. Prayer's going to stink. You're not going to like it. It's going to be miserable. And why is that? If that's you, it's because deep down you really don't know if you can trust him. Because he's your business partner. And maybe this business partner has his own interests in mind and is not concerned about you. Who knows? I don't know. But if you can switch it and see him as your heavenly father, then you know you can trust him. Then you know. Hmm. We know we can trust our father's judgment. Here's the other point. Our basis for approaching our father is, is not conditional. It's not business performance based. Remember when we were talking about the, the branch life. America is all about performance, earning stuff. But our relationship with God is all about connection and being connected. It's family-based. It has nothing to do with performance. It has nothing to do with what we do. It's based on who we are. Are you a child of God? That's the basis, then, that you can approach the Father. Notice that Jesus doesn't start the Lord's Prayer with our King, our Creator, though He is both. If that was the case, there would be no intimacy, though, right? No confidence to approach God there. Jesus wants us to be able to approach on the basis of family. Remember, in the beginning, God walked face-to-face with mankind in the garden. They had a face-to-face relationship. We rejected that, right? And the relationship was broken. But what's God do? He puts a pan into place to restore that relationship through Jesus Christ, his son. Why? Because he wants that intimacy. Because he's our father and we're his children. Now, sometimes we come from broken family relationships, and and maybe this seems hard to really understand and truly get the part about a, a loving father. But even in the brokenness, sometimes that proves our point. Right? Even our, in our broken family relationships. For some of us, you know, we have dealings with family members that have hurt us, and yet what happens? We keep them in our lives because they're family. Right? If we can have a relationship with people that have hurt us, why can't we give ourselves some grace and understand that God wants to have a family relationship with us no matter how many times we fall? as long as we're willing to seek forgiveness and repent and come back to him. Even when we screw up, we can approach him because he's our father. There's nothing my kids could do that would keep them, that I would say, don't approach me. Right? They could be the worst people in the world. I might whoop their butts. But they're always welcome to approach me. They have priority. They have priority over you guys to approach me because they're my kids. And that's the same way with God. We have priority. We always can approach God. So Jesus starts with our Father. Those two little words will, little words will control everything. 
else in prayer. And not just in prayer. It's, it's everything about our relationship with God. It's the essence of what it means to be a Christian. And it comes with the understanding that God has adopted us into his family. And anytime you are dealing with God, this is where you need to come from. This is where it needs to begin. Now the prayer template goes on. Our Father in heaven. Our Father brings us comfort and also confidence to approach God. And in heaven gives us perspective. Perspective. It helps us trust God. Well, what do you mean? When the Bible talks about heaven, it's not talking about some fairy make-believe land, right? Some mystical, unreal place in the clouds. That's not what heaven is. It's referring to a realm that is outside of this realm that we are in, outside of this time and space that we are confined to. It's described as eternal. It's described as timeless. There is no cycle of day and night in heaven. When God looks at time, he does not view it in an instant like we do. We see time in one instant, whatever instant that we are in. He doesn't look at it that way. He sees the whole. He sees eternity all at once. That's how he knows what the future is. That's how he can tell us what the future is. He sees it all. Second Peter 3.8 describes God as being outside of time. One day is like a thousand days. Another passage says he is the Alpha and Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is more powerful than Dr. Strange with the infinity time stone, right? In Avengers. Four of you got that. (laughs) He sees all time at once. And here's the big takeaway. He sees the big picture. We're stuck in a moment. He sees everything. He sees what we can't see. He understands what we can't understand. So it encourages us to not only trust him because he, of his fatherliness, but also trust him because of his heavenliness. He's all-knowing, all-powerful. He sees it all. I've never preached on Job because there are some themes that I just do not understand and I have, I have trouble with. And maybe that's the point when you're, when you're looking at Job. But in Job, you see a man that has it all, a blameless person, and his life completely falls apart. He loses his livelihood. He loses his children. He loses his health. He has to deal with these sores on his body. And he begins to question God, right? He begins to question the fatherly part. He begins to question the heavenly part. Why is this happening? Why are you allowing this to happen? He questions that. And in Job 38, beginning at verse 2, God responds. And God says, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? In other words, who is this guy? Who is this guy that thinks he knows what he's talking about? Verse 3, Brace yourself like a man. Side note, that is something you probably never want to hear God say to you. Brace yourself like a man. It's it's probably not going to be good. Brace yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. In other words, how about I ask you some questions? So that's what he does. He asks Job, were you around when I laid the foundations of the earth? Job, did you determine how much water the oceans would hold? 
Have you set the time that the sun will rise and set? Have you discovered how the oceans are kept full? Have you comprehended the vastness of the universe? Do you determine the course water will flow? Do you have the power to move constellations? On and on and on, yes. He asks Job these questions. And God makes it clear that he understands what we can't even begin to grasp. To you, this world might seem like it's totally spinning out of control. But it's in his control. Notice God doesn't sit Job down and explain to him everything. This is why this is happening, Job. All right? And if you just are patient and wait, I'm going to restore everything. He doesn't sit Job down and do that. Don't we wish that he would, right, when we're going through those things? God doesn't even tell him, hey, Job, your story, man, it's going to be preached about. It's going to be timeless. People are going to draw encouragement from it. Just hang in there, right? You might not understand it, but there's a purpose. And he doesn't tell Job any of that. He just says, hey, Job, can you move the constellations? If you can, let's talk. Otherwise, realize that I'm God and you're not. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. There's something comforting in God, a God that cannot be constrained, about a God that cannot be understood, about a God whose ways that we cannot even begin to grasp. Why do we have the audacity? Why have I had the audacity to think that my ways were higher than God's ways, that I knew more than God? It's crazy, and yet I've done it. Jesus says to the pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The word hallowed is not commonly used, and yet it's kind of interesting because it's still in all the modern translations. I think it's because we don't really have a good contemporary word for hallowed. It's stronger than honored, right? It's really a word that puts God in a category all of his own. The word hallowed means to set apart, to make something sacred, to make something the ultimate. The ultimate. And in this prayer, this is the adoration part. This is the part where we praise God. This is the part where we come to the understanding that God has no equal. That our hope is in you and in you alone. What happens in our prayers, though, is all too often we make something else the ultimate. Our prayers reveal that we hallow something else. Maybe it's something financial. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a presidential candidate. And we start to put our hope in these things. We end up coming to God because we are obsessed with these things. Why? Because we hallow them. I mean, what hope do we have if our presidential candidate doesn't get elected? It's over, right? America's done. I'm going to have to move to Canada. I'm probably going to Mexico. It's warmer and they got 
Mexican food. How do you know if you hallow God? Hmm. How do you know if you, he's the supreme thing that you adore, that you've placed him in the supreme spot? You'll know because you'll have a consistent prayer life. You mean to tell me that if I don't pray regularly, I'm hallowing something else? I guarantee it. I guarantee that's what's happening. Is your prayer life consistent? You see, if you hallow something else, you will likely only pray when that thing is in jeopardy. I know this from personal experience, right? For far too long, the only time I would pray was when something bad was happening to me or when I wanted something. I got in trouble. I prayed. Lord, help me. Save me. Please deliver me. Those were my prayers, right? During those times, you know, who did I hallow? I hallowed myself. I was hallowing me. I only prayed when I was in trouble. And man, would I pray, right? And things would get better. And guess what? I'd quit praying. Then something else would happen. I'd start praying. Then it'd be over. I'd quit praying things were going good with me, why would I need to pray? What's the point? What does the consistency of your prayer life tell you? When do you find yourself praying? What are you praying about? That will tell you who you hallow. That will tell you who is of supreme importance, who you are putting first in your life. When we, when we hallow something other than our Father, something other than God, then our spirit, our peace, rises and falls with how that thing, whatever we are hallowing, whatever's going on with it. If things are going good, our spirit, we have peace. When things are not going, we're anxious, we worry, we're in trouble, we fret. But if we hallow God, He's the same, He's not affected by anything that happens in this world. He's not affected. He's not worried about anything that's happening in our life. He's bigger than all of that. And if we can grab onto that, we can have that peace. We have to be intentional. We have to hallow his name. And it puts everything else into perspective. This is the first part, really, of the Lord's Prayer. And it sets the stage for how we pray for things, our petitions, how we pray for other people sets up the rest of it, and we have to get this right first. Focusing in on him, turning our eyes towards him, focuses everything else, brings everything else into perspective. We're able to trust him with those things. We're able to trust that he is a father that loves us, that he is in heaven with ways way beyond our understanding. When we hallow him, we're all reminded of this, and that's where our peace comes from. No matter what happens in an election, right? We're still going to pray for it. We're still going to fast. We're still going to seek God's will. It's your duty as a Christian to vote and to take it seriously and to evaluate the candidates. But no matter what happens, our hope is not in a person. 
Our trust is not in a person. We do not hallow a person. Our hope and our trust is in our Father in heaven. Would you stand with me? I wrote this down. In pivotal times, our prayers tend to get really obsessed with the mountain. But what we need to do is give attention to the mountain mover. The way maker. We need to give attention to who God is and what he can do. That's why I love seeing that second song up there. In this season, in every season, God calls us to pray. In pivotal times, God calls us to bring out the big guns of fasting. And that's what we need to do as a body. This is a pivotal time, not just because of an election. This is a pivotal time for the direction of our church. It's always a pivotal time for you. What is God calling you to do? What gifts has he given you? Do you know those? Are you using those? Are you serving? Don't you want to be a part of something that changes the world? Or do you just want to come to church and sing some songs and hear some scripture and be like, oh, wow, that was a good sermon. I don't want to be a part of that, right? I want to be some part of something that makes a difference in a community. I want to be a part of something that makes a difference in one person's life and sets them free. And that's what God calls us to do. Would you be praying about that? Pray to your Father. Hallow his name. Right? Approach him. As you would approach a loving Father. Draw deep. Draw deep with him. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for Jesus who made it possible that we can approach you as a Father. Without his death, Without his resurrection, there would be no way. Father, I pray that every person in here would put their trust, their hope, their faith completely in that. Father, help us to repent. Help us to turn for our selfish ways and to seek you out, to seek to make you first, to make you the supreme person that we look to and trust in. And Father, help us to to go with that. Help us not to feel like we're not good enough Help us to remember who we are in you. Help us to understand that it is your righteousness, not our righteousness, that allows us to approach you. Father, help us to see us as you see us. Lord, call these people in here to something. Show them a ministry. Help them to start something if it's not been started. Lord, direct us in the way that you would have us go. And Father, help us to know, be, no matter what that direction is, to follow that and to go. No matter what it costs us, no matter what it looks like, no matter how scary it is. Help us to step out on faith. And remember that you are faithful. Lord, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. And we are dismissed. Next week, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. I cannot wait to preach about that.